0: Hi, this is Annie Fox for Family Confidential, Secrets of Successful Parenting. My guest today is Dr. Mark Griffin. Dr. Griffin has been a professional in the field of learning disabilities for over 40 years. He consults with foundations, parents, and independent and public schools concerning various aspects of learning disabilities, school management, and appropriate programming strategies for children with learning disabilities and attention issues. Hi, Mark. Welcome to Family Confidential. Hi, Annie. I'm so happy to be here. I'm delighted you made the time. Thank you so much. You know, I have been delighted with my um, connection with understood.org, where you and I are both uh, experts for parents to ask questions to. Mm -hmm. And um, specifically for my my listeners and viewers who don't know about this wonderful resource understood.org, it's a place where parents and teachers can find resources for kids with learning and attention issues. And I know that that dealing with that population of students has been um, your life's work. And I'm specifically interested in talking to you today about the social challenges that kids with learning and attention issues might find um, in school. Can you tell me a little bit about what's to be expected, for example, um, in a typical middle school when someone is different?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I, I, I think that the kids will tell you themselves, which is probably the most important source of information, That having decent social skills, being able to make friends, um, being able to walk the corridors and have other kids see them as reasonably attractive and confident – is far more important to them than whether they read, write, spell, or do math particularly well, Uh, particularly in middle school as kids are making the kind of changes early adolescents make and looking to be more independent and and looking to sort of break away from the home front a little bit. Um, It is really challenging, and and unfortunately for kids with learning and attention issues, the very nature of the issues that they have tend to get in the way. Um, Kids with attention issues are kids that don't listen very well. Uh, Middle school kids like to have you listen when you tell their story, and they Mm -hmm. don't want you to interrupt necessarily until the whole weekend has been told. (laughs) And for for kids with attention issues... (laughs) It's very hard not to have something to say, even in a 30-second conversation. And so the impulsivity that characterizes some of those kids means that they jump in too quickly. They don't really wait long enough to get the tenor of what's going on. Um, Some kids really struggle with reading body language. So if somebody's really glaring at them or has their hands on their hips – they don't necessarily get a sense that that means the things that they're saying or the way that they're responding are not particularly appropriate, at least in, in this kid's eyes. Um, for kids who have learning issues, uh, it, it is the fact that sometimes they process language more slowly. They have trouble retrieving words that are the right words for a response. Mm -hmm. Um, They at times wait too long and get lost in the information. So now they're really confused about the information. And when you think about middle school, middle school is a series of very quick kind of conversations. These kids are short bites. They talk a lot. They're pushing and shoving each other, particularly if they're boys, and if you have a lot of these issues, you're finding yourself in a world that's moving much too quickly where you have to make some kind of a response when you're really not ready. You make a response, and then the environment responds back to you in a way that's not particularly positive, and you panic, and now you're anxious. And you come back with another comment that doesn't work. So it's something for a lot of kids with learning and attention issues that can spiral out of control and kids begin to feel – Really, not maybe not rejected, but certainly isolated sometimes from other kids. That they're not particularly attractive to kids, and it gets worse because they can't find the right words, they can't stop from breaking in and butting into conversations, they stand too close to other kids. Um, They do a lot of those things often enough that from a social standpoint, a a number of kids, not all, I'd have to say that lots of kids who have learning and attention issues are pretty good socially, but there's a fairly large noticeable component of kids who have learning and attention issues who do struggle with this in addition to the academic issues which they face every day.
0: Well, Well, my goodness, the way you have just described it just put me in the perspective of a child with either learning issues or attention issues or both Uh, or both (laughs) or both. Right. Um, Right there in the hall. It's seventh grade in between classes. And I've never felt it so viscerally as what you've just described for me. And my goodness, um, what a challenging environment that could all just feel like, you know, a battleground for the kid who is um, really just trying to fit in, trying to make friends and trying to figure out what it is that, um, makes the rest of the kids tick and like each other and get invited to parties and sit with each other. and wow, I'm feeling overwhelmed kids, and sad.
1: yeah, well, it, it, it is it, it is probably one of the most important things that schools need to intervene with, and parents as well. But I think that most of the kids would be very happy. To be positively anonymous, and that is to be able to walk the corridor yeah. and be somebody who can walk that corridor somebody will say hi to them and they just move mm-hmm. along but many of the things that kids do and unfortunately they do them often enough because they're not in control at times and they respond too quickly sometimes um, and it, it is it's it's heartbreaking to watch a kid really 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 want to yeah. get involved with a group and and they're simply not willing
0: to take me so so um before this becomes a complete downer
1: <laughs> Oh no, there's lots of ways no, to do it. Yeah, I, this. I want to start talking
0: about um, suppose you are the parent of mm. a child with learning and or attention issues who's now in middle school. Mm. Maybe maybe your child went to a, a smaller elementary school, um, mm. where the kids were, you know, more accepting, um, more inclusive. And, and now you're in a larger middle school with lots of kids you don't know. Your kid comes home and you want to know, how'd you fit in? Did you make any new friends? What's going on? And you're starting to get these inklings that maybe all is not well on the social level with your child in this new environment. What can you as a parent do to help the child navigate without calling up real quick and, and um, complaining
1: yeah, I know. I, I, I wouldn't say that you want to call up and complain. Yeah. Uh, I do think that partnerships between schools and parents, uh, particularly around social issues and particularly in middle school, it's great that you picked middle school as, as the starting point for, for this conversation because it is probably the toughest transition for kids with learning and attention issues. Not that high school isn't, but middle school really Brings a lot of challenges. You have many more teachers you have to contend with. As you said, you funneled three elementary schools into a middle school. Lots of kids that you don't know. It's really important to listen to your child. And I wouldn't ask the question three days in because most kids are still trying to navigate where the bathrooms are and can I get to lunchroom on time and can I remember my locker combination and do all those things. But at some point in time, and, and good questioning on the part of parents um, and sort of pointed questioning is really important to Can ask you youngster. Well, I think the, the 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 problem sometimes that parents have is they ask very general questions. And so they ask questions like, how was school? Well, how was school? school, Every middle schooler in the world is going to say, I was fine. Um, you know, they're not going to say, well, let me start you in first period and I'll tell you what went wrong there. (laughs) And then second period is kind of okay because I sat next to a a new kid that I really, really like and he seems to like me. Third period is Jim. You know how much I hate Jim. You're never going to get that. And so to begin to ask questions that, that center around things that he already knows about. You know, you and Josh were really good friends in fifth grade last year. Do you guys have any classes together? You know, do you have the same lunch period? Can you sit together? Um, Those kinds of things where you're – you're into territory where you may get many, many good answers that you hadn't bargained for, but you're letting the child sort of run the conversation in the beginning. If you come in with 20 questions right away about, you know, how was the lunch? Uh, did, you, did you find your locker okay? Was your homework all done? Did you remember your folders? It almost sounds like the Inquisition. And yeah, with most you know, middle schoolers, you're not going to get much of a response.
0: Those, those kinds of questions also seem like they're... um Fueled by a parent's anxiety.
1: Well, parents have anxiety about kids with learning and attention issues, yeah. and 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 they should. Uh, it's it's not something uh, we as as professionals and practitioners in the field want parents to be great observers of what's going on. So uh, we don't want them to be anxious to the point of being immobilized. But we want them to become very good, particularly during transitions like getting into middle school or even the second year of middle school, particularly being observant about changes in kids, things that are going well. We always say to parents, if if you can catch your kid doing three good things a day, catch him doing that. Make sure that you notice those things, that you're very specific in your praise, that you give the kid a very clear picture of what you liked about what he did because then he's likely to repeat it. What we don't realize sometimes is, for some kids, social skills need to be taught almost the same way we teach reading and writing and math. You have to be very explicit about it. You have to give them lots of different scenarios. You have to allow them to make choices and then help them hypothetically make choices Mm -hmm. and then help them understand, you know, maybe that wasn't such a bad choice, but did you consider this? Because lots of kids with learning and attention issues pick the first choice. They're not very good at what we call alternate solutions. So they don't tend to run necessarily through five different possibilities and weigh the possibilities. If we're lucky, we get two, and they pick one. And one might be good, and one might not be so good.
0: So now you bring up something interesting here. Um, I've certainly heard of um, social skill-building groups for kids. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you've got a child, for example, who – need some extra help in math. The idea of um, supplementing what's going on in school with an outside-of-school tutor or some kind of practice Mm -hmm. session with a professional can be really helpful. What do you think about um, how these social skills groups could help a child who like has. any
1: uh, yeah it's a, it's a great question because <laughs> I, I think that number one it's become a fairly large industry um, there are lots of kids who are struggling socially in schools and in the community and lots of concerned parents uh, much like as you said if they had a math problem or a reading problem and found that in school there just wasn't enough time to get it done. They might go find a tutor or they might get some help from a local college kid or do something like that. Um, Social skills really need somebody who understands how social skills are taught and how to reinforce them and how to give kids a chance to play with them without what we call response costs. So you want to find a group that's pretty benign uh, in our own school um, we ran what we called lunch bunches where we took two kids who were really good socially. One kid who was kind of okay socially and a couple of kids that weren't so great socially. And they would have lunch together once or twice a week with a faculty member, um, who happened to be good at these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And it became more naturalistic. So the flow was better than being in some social skills groups that really are, not, they're contrived. I mean, they're better than nothing. And some of them are actually very, very good. But if your school can help you and they have the personnel and the resources on hand to do this, Doing it naturalistically where kids are in a setting where they really are all the time, the lunchroom, yeah. and they're with somebody who is guiding the conversation but not totally guiding the conversation, and you get a couple of kids who are really good socially, and those kids are doing this because they want to, to, to hang out with kids who you know could use a little bit of help doing that. That tends to provide lots of opportunities, when the business should call them antecedents, times for you to sort of maneuver things as the adult there or even the two kids who are very good socially – and have an opportunity to have a more real world sort of you know real time conversation about things that are important to you yeah. your school what 's going to happen in the afternoon how about mrs so and so 's homework? I found it really hard. those kinds of things as opposed to sitting around with five kids you only see once a week yeah. um, in a group if, if if that can't happen, certainly in the hands of a skilled therapist or a skilled counselor who's used to small group settings. For kids who are trying to develop better social skills, that can work wonders as well.
0: So what I hear you saying is for parents who are looking for some extra um, support for their kids who may need that tutorial on social skills, that find a a professionally run outside of school um, social skill building group that um, does its job very well. Excuse me. But, and that,
1: that's, that's not as easy as it seems to be. Yeah, do. I uh, hear you it,
0: saying it. When you, when you use the word cottage industry, um, yeah. you know, anybody could say, we help build social skills and, and you really need to check it out. But what I really yeah. prefer is this in-school model that you've just described, which sounds wonderful. First of all, um, no one has to go anywhere and pay for it. and And the kid is right there. With their peers, and this is, helps me want to segue into into the idea of of um, peer leadership if you are a parent of a child who um, doesn't have any le- um, learning and attention issues, mm-hmm. um, which, I guess statistically, would more parents who are listening than, than fewer fall into, into that group.
1: If, if um, we're right, yes.
0: If we're right. <laughs> we
1: then, think we are.
0: <laughs> then what can we as parents do with the idea that um, we love to think of our children as kids who do the right thing, who stand yeah. up for others? Um, how, how do you encourage your child to be more inclusive in their school? Well,
1: I I think, uh, first of all, there are a number of very good programs that have been begun um, in schools all around the country. One of them is called Positive Behavioral Interventions and Supports, and it was developed by a guy at, at UConn. Uh, named George Sagai, and it's in uh, thousands of schools at this point in time. And it is a whole program. It's not just for kids who are struggling. It's also for the kids who are really very good at that. And it is a cultural change within the school that really promotes positive kinds of involvement and talks a lot about differences in kids and talks a lot about differences not necessarily being bad but actually being very, very good. Again, pairing kids together in collaborative learning groups in the lunchroom, in other places so that kids who are really good at this and are typically learning kids, um, they can be the best thing in the world. The the lunch bunch, if you really take the high-profile, high-status kids, and you could call it anything – and you pair them with kids who are not so much, immediately you've done the kids who are struggling a favor because you have two of the highest profile kids in the school who are having lunch with this kid. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden that elevates his status to the point of if those guys are talking to him and having lunch and laughing and it's looking like they're having a great time, maybe we miss something. Maybe this kid's a whole lot better than <laughs> we think he is. Yeah, and we- so there's, there's that and if you have high profile faculty who do those kinds of things. But there's been very, very strong success with these programs uh, you the school has to embrace them and has to embrace them as really a part of the fabric for them to work but the numbers and and the data coming back even in very difficult school districts um, are, are really very very strong and so at home i think you know we ask kids to do what we not just what we say but what we do as well and so the way that Parents talk about people who happen to learn differently than they do or kids who are a little more antsy than other kids were or kids with other kinds of challenges and disabilities really sets the stage for your own youngsters' ability to see kids – um, who happen to learn differently than you are and maybe have a little more trouble standing in line without poking the other kid. Um, that those kids might end up being your best friends because they're really good kids. And, and it, it as a school wide program, it's great, but parents have such an opportunity yeah. to begin to say to kids out loud, you know, we're not a cookie cutter society here. You know, some of us are really, really smart doing these kinds of things. Other people can fix a car that we we couldn't possibly even begin to think about doing that kind of thing. So that we need to look at people's strengths and we need to look at what makes people attractive and how important people are who are honest with us, and listen to us, and and it goes a long way. And and we would find I have to say we we at our own school ran a very strong athletic program, and so we didn't read and write and spell as well as a lot of other kids. We played a lot better soccer, and a lot better basketball most of the time. And that too, and and drama and being involved in community kinds of things says out loud to typically learning kids, okay, so there are some differences about this kid. But at the same time, in the large scheme of things, he might be somebody I
0: want to hang out with. He might be somebody that's worth a look. This is great. You've just laid out so many wonderful opportunities for parents to not only um, be more mindful of the language they use in the home, but for parents to also be proactive. If the programs you're you're discussing don't exist yet in your (laughs) child's school, there's absolutely nothing that keeps you from going to the PTA and propose something like the lunch bunch or to talk to the the head of the school. Um, Even one individual teacher, as far as I'm concerned, could set up what I would call an oasis during (laughs) lunch because a lot of kids like to opt out of, a lot of the um, social garbage that's going right. on during lunch. Right. And all you need is a classroom and a teacher who's willing to hang out in a in a positive, constructive way during lunch to mentor.
1: And, and those kids with the high status sometimes mm-hmm. like to opt out as much as the kids who are yeah. struggling a little bit. They do, too. And so you, you can really make it. I have to say that obviously we had a school full of kids with learning and attention issues, 250 of them. But they were more tolerant and, and more supportive of each other than I think you would find in a typical uh, a school of typical learners. And, and they just got it. They just understood that sure. it's, it's not necessarily a bad thing to learn differently or to, to have a little bit of trouble controlling your impulses. Um, there are a lot of strengths that those kids have. And. Our own two youngsters who are now in their early 40s uh, lived on the campus with us, and some of their best friends were kids who went to our school. And so, and those friendships have continued forever. So, well into the, well into adulthood. Mm -hmm. So, parents can do so much, um, both in terms of reinforcing things and remembering that. Social skills for some kids really have to be taught explicitly and reinforced, and called up again and cued like we would cue reading. And that if you can get your typically learning kids in your household, the siblings, and the, and the kids that might be hanging around at your house, to view your child who happens to have learning and attention issues in a, in a not just a positive way, but understanding that yeah, you know, there are a few things that are really tough for this kid to do, but by and large, it's a pretty good kid.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's wonderful. Great message. And it empowers parents to hear that, that, um, you know, they can make changes, too. Um, Huge
1: changes. Yeah. we need to understand it. It looks small to begin with, but you're stringing together a lot of things that are going to allow kids to call up strategies they couldn't call up before, use them effectively, store them away, retrieve them again. Uh, If they know that these were your parent pleasing behaviors or teacher pleasing behaviors and you told them what you really liked not that you just liked it, but specifically what you liked, they're likely to repeat it again. We all do that.
0: We all do that. We only have about a minute left, Mark, and if, if you would, I'd appreciate your giving our viewers and listeners a web address where they can find out more about your work.
1: Um, well, we are working a lot with, with Understood. There's a lot of our content up there. Um, and so uh, we are actually the authors of the entire Parent Coach series. Um, and I would encourage parents who are looking to either find the social skills grouping in school or out of school to go to Understood, which has a lot of information about how to find the right therapist, how to write, find the right social skills group, what questions do you ask, how do you ask them, how do you assess things after you've been at it for a little period of time, and it is just a tre- treasure trove of, of information for people, for um, just so many different things um, for kids with learning and attention And issues. I'll
0: give a shout out to the Understood Community Boards, because there are, are parents who come and post questions, and support each other and experts chime in and there's so many wonderful lively conversations going on. you can you can be understood and, there
1: <laughs> and, and you're not alone I think lots of times parents think that this child is so unique and and he has so many unique strengths and so many unique issues or needs and you get out on the community board or you go into weekend wisdom or, or any of those areas And you find lots of parents that are both asking the same things. And some, if they're a little further in their journey, they have some pretty good answers, too, because they've had a chance to see what happens when you have good intervention.
0: That's great. Well, thanks again for the wonderful work you've done over the decades, Mark. And I'm I'm so glad we got to connect in this way.
1: Me, too. Thank you so much, Annie.
0: Have a good one. Bye. Okay. This is Annie Fox for Family Confidential. To learn more about my work with tweens, teens, and their parents, visit AnnieFox.com and check out my parenting book Teaching Kids to Be Good People and my latest book for tween girls The Girls Q&A Book on Friendship. And please rate us on iTunes. It helps other folks find the show. Family Confidential Podcast is produced by Electric Egg Plant, creators of books and apps for parents, kids, tweens and teens. And tune in next time when my guest will be Roslyn Wiseman. Roslyn is a teacher thought leader, author, and media spokesperson on bullying, ethical leadership, and the use of social media and media literacy. She's in constant dialogue and collaboration with educators, parents, children, and teens. Until then, happy parenting.